Well, have the people you voted for made it to City Hall? We break down the results of a dramatic civic election across BC. A sightseeing helicopter goes down in the Fraser Valley, the latest on the rescue effort and the five people on board. You get a new appreciation for what, certainly what the veterans went through. And a historic restoration, a group of history buffs spending hundreds of thousands of dollars bringing a World War II tank back to life for a special day. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. I will work with every single person, no matter their political background, no matter their political party, to help make sure this city works for everyone. And you've elected a council that's going to fight for you to get your rights in all of the world. Hailing in a new era for the two biggest cities in BC, Kennedy Stewart and Doug McCallum, the two men taking charge at City Hall in Vancouver and Surrey for the next at least four years. Good evening and thank you very much for joining us. Well, the results from last night's hugely dramatic civic elections only just starting to sink in. Some celebrating victory, others left trying to work out what went wrong. We start tonight where it wasn't quite someone new people voted in, but rather a mayor who's been in charge before and is now promising to get rid of the RCMP and bring in SkyTrain over the LRT project. Tanya Beja tells us the story in Surrey. The past, present, and future of Surrey all in one handsome package, Doug McCallum! He's a familiar face to Surrey residents, back for a fourth term as mayor after more than a decade away from city council. This campaign was all about change. Doug McCallum and his safe Surrey coalition swept all seats but one with a vow to revamp the city starting with the RCMP. You will be seeing your own Surrey police force. With the city facing rising gang violence, McCallum says he'll create a municipal force within two years, something even the former Mountie on his team supports. Surrey's outgrown the RCMP. We're looking for something a little bit different, more unique for Surrey, where we can actually have some community representation uh, through a uh, police board. The coalition also promising to keep pot shops out of Surrey for now. We want to make sure our streets are safer. Our youth are looked after first before we make that decision because once we make that decision, we can't really uh, very well pair it back. McCallum's election could also put the brakes on light rail transit plans. The mayor-elect wants to replace the already funded Surrey-Newton-Guilford line with SkyTrain. Transportation blogger and Langley councillor Nathan Pahal calls McCallum's idea a costly mistake. He'd have to pay whatever cancellations things, which would be in the tens of millions of dollars. You'd have to throw away the tens of millions of dollars that have been done in construction and design work. And then if you're going to change it to SkyTrain, you're going to have to find another couple billion dollars from somewhere. The Prime Minister has committed verbally and publicly that the money will stay in Surrey at $1.65 So I have... No problems. I'm believing that um, it'll stay here for SkyTrain. But money isn't the only obstacle. The LRT was approved by the Mayor's Council. McCallum will have to convince them to change track. Tanya Beja, Global News. And the drama in Vancouver was unbelievable. Independent Kennedy Stewart celebrating taking the mayor's seat in what was an extremely narrow win. But the MPA's Ken Sim, who came in second place, is still refusing to concede. Grace Key reports.
Are you having fun tonight? Was that close enough for you? Oh. It was a tight race, but Kennedy Stewart is the next mayor of Vancouver, becoming the first independent mayor in more than three decades. Stewart and nonpartisan candidate Ken Sim went back and forth all night. And hours after the polls closed, Stewart won by less than a thousand votes, leaving Sim not willing to concede. We're going to uh, wake up in the morning and we're going to talk to our advisors and see what we need to do. Eight of the city's ten councillors will be women with no ethnic minorities. Council is also mixed with five and PAs, three Greens, one each from Cope and one city. It's a diverse group of people, but there is one thing that unites us, and that is that we love this city. Departing MPA City Councilor George Affleck says compromises will have to be made. A lot of stuff will happen in the back room uh, where you'll negotiate, okay, I'll, you pass this and I'll do that and you support me on this one and you do that. Uh, I don't know if that's the best kind of government, uh, but that's the government we have in Vancouver now. Affleck adds this council will be interesting to watch, and sometimes it's not about the politics, but the personalities. Jean Swanson is not known for being a calm and, and easygoing person. She is going to be disruptive. Melissa is also a strong, strong personality. Uh, I know Colleen's also strong. They're really strong personalities there, and so that's what's going to be interesting to watch in this new council. After a decade of dominating city politics, Vision has no council seats. In fact, the only Vision win was in the school board with Alan Wong. Stewart, a former NDP MP for Burnaby South, has promised to tackle the opioid crisis with the Downtown East Side Emergency Task Force. He'll work to hire a renter's advocate, launch a mayor's review of city policies, and address affordable housing. We need to immediately get to work on my plan to build 85,000 new homes in this city over the next 10 years, including 25,000 nonprofit rentals that will be affordable. Grace Key, Global News. And in Burnaby, a shocking defeat for Derek Corrigan, the sitting mayor who's been in charge of City Hall since 2002, losing to a man who's never served on council. Here's our Kristen Robinson now with how a retired firefighter captured more than half of the popular vote. A foggy haze hangs over Burnaby Sunday after voters gave a clear green light for change. Change all time is good. So I had no complaint about Corrigan, but I just felt a change was, was needed. And now, the mayor of Burnaby, Mike Hurley. Retired firefighter Mike Hurley winning Burnaby's top job with 52.5% of the vote. Hurley, Hurley, Hurley. Nearly 6,000 more votes than veteran Derek Corrigan who led the city for 16 years after starting on council back in 1987. Well, the number one issue, as I said all along, was the uh, affordability issues. Hurley's battle for Burnaby centered around the Metrotown demoviction debate, the independent promising a moratorium on developments not yet approved until housing can be found for tenants at the same rent levels. And yes, we will have a moratorium here in Metrotown. A lot of people got thrown out of their homes, so of course a lot of people were angry and, uh, you know, and it seemed like there was no empathy for those people. Corrigan congratulating his replacement during live election coverage on Global BC. Derek Corrigan's here congratulating, uh, congratulating Mike Hurley. Derek! And he left, sorry. Before his exit, the longtime mayor telling supporters he's ready to focus on his family. 
I debated whether I would run again, and I ran again because I really believed that Burnaby needed me. And I'm so thankful that Burnaby doesn't. Although he lost, Corrigan's party won seven of eight council seats. Hurley will have to work to change the minds of the incumbents behind the development decisions that divided the city. I'll be trying as hard as I can to do that, and when I sit down with that caucus... The only new voice on council, former punk rocker and DOA frontman Joe Keithley. The Green councillor-elect dropped out of the mayor's race to back Hurley and affordability. People in the street, they said it was terrible what's been going on. We have a billion dollars in the bank, but we're throwing thousands of people out of their house. So you know what? We have to put a stop to that right away. Kristen Robinson, Global News. All right, well, let's bring in a man who's had very little sleep but lives and breathes elections, Keith Baldry. It was an incredible night last night. Yeah, one of the most extraordinary elections I've had the pleasure of covering, Sonia. So uh, all sorts of takeaways from what happened uh, right across uh, the region and on Vancouver Island as well. First of all, Doug McCallum, uh, returning Surrey mayor, could be a very disruptive move in Metro Vancouver. His uh, vow to build SkyTrain and scrap LRT throws a wrench into any consensus the mayors have reached uh, over moving forward on transit projects. That's just one of them, though. Second one, the disappearance of three political dynasties. Vision Vancouver reduced to a single seat on the school board. Uh, 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 Surrey first also gone as a w one seat on council. And of course, Derek Corrigan leaving after well more than a decade as mayor. Three dynasties disappearing. One disappearance news. Three is extraordinary. Leonard Krogh moving to Nanaimo's mayor's job, leaving a gaping hole in the NDP caucus. That creates a critical by-election. The NDP basically has to win in Nanaimo. They probably will. It's a very safe NDP seat, but it reduces the NDP majority in the House to just one seat. And finally, and this is disappointing, uh, Again, low voter turnout. In fact, in Vancouver, with all the media coverage that took place about uh, who's going to replace uh, uh, Gregor Robertson and others around Metro Vancouver, uh, 5,000 fewer people actually voted in Vancouver than voted in 2014. Voters were down in most areas, up in, in, uh, in Burnaby, but take Langley City, uh, fewer than 25% of the electorate bothered to turn out. So again, despite, I think, a huge amount of media coverage and, and apparent public interest, voter interest seemed uh, not material at uh, the ballot box. Which is a significant point when you look at how tight some of those races really were in, in, in some of those areas as well. What about the new faces that, that we're seeing uh, across BC? Which names really stick out for you? Well, I think the one to really keep an eye on more than any other is probably Brad West, the new uh, mayor of Port Coquitlam. He's young. Uh, I think he's got a lot of ambition there. He's got some strong ties to the provincial NDP government. So I think that guy, keep an eye on him as he moves into probably going to be a very effective, influential role amongst the mayor's council in Metro Vancouver. With people like Corrigan and Gregor Robertson leaving, uh, that leaves a gaping hole in leadership uh, and a lot of newcomers. And I look for someone like uh, Wes to potentially play a pivotal role moving forward. And I guess uh, very quickly, Keith, I mean, the challenge really is going to be, especially across Metro Vancouver, with so many new faces and new mayors coming in, is how they're all going to work together. Yeah, and when we talked about our panels discussed this last night, both our pundits and our, our outgoing mayors, the challenges of so many new mayors, a lot of them without much experience, uh, figuring out how to work uh, not only with, the, with their own councils, which they might not be part of a majority at the local level, but also working in the more often complex situation, for example, of TransLink, where you've got to reach a consensus when all mayors sort of reluctant to find funding sources, including tax increases. But it's a challenge to raise lots of money to fund things that people want. And that's uh, going to be a big 
big challenge for a bunch of rookies. All right. I think you deserve uh, a bit of rest and some sleep. Thanks very <laughs> much uh, for everything right. in the coverage last night as well. Uh, let's turn our attention to Port Moody now. A surprise outcome for a lot of people as incumbent Mike Clay. Uh, he's been unseated for a mayor by uh, a 26-year-old who you might recall from an old video that was uh, resurfaced recently on social media. Let's go find us a homeless guy and get him some lunch. Cheers. Uh, Rob Vagramov, whose random act of kindness, including shotgunning a beer with a homeless man. The sitting councillor uh, ran on a platform of moderate growth and expanding parkland. He beat the incumbent Clay in a two-person race by taking 52% of the vote in what was uh, turning into quite a nasty campaign there. This is the most dishonest campaign I've been involved in and the most um, divisive in the community. Where it's really been trying to wedge people and scare them into thinking that their city is being destroyed, which it certainly isn't. This is a magnificent city. Uh, personally, I am absolutely disgusted at what it takes to go up against an incumbent uh, here in Port Moody. Uh, I think it's absolutely unacceptable that this is the level, the, le the bar is so low for the kinds of attacks that somebody has to go through just to put ideas forward for their own community. In the Okanagan, the fight was a lot more personal. It was on between two former best friends where tensions have been running high over the last few weeks. It turned out to be a great victory for Kelowna's incumbent mayor, Colin Bazran. Jules Knox has the story. A whopping win for incumbent mayor Colin Bazran, earning more votes than all of the candidates running against him combined. Amazing four years! But victory wasn't a sure thing. Former Kelowna Chamber of Commerce President Tom Dias, before the election a close friend of Bazran's, shocking the incumbent by running against him. This has probably been, I think collectively, three of the most difficult months we have ever had. As the results started to pour in, many expecting a close race. It is just sheer nerves. It is not a fun feeling waiting for the results to come in. Um, and you're, I, I was just, my heart was pounding through my chest. You're so nervous. You're not sure what to expect. In the end, voters sided with Bazran. This feels so good. More than 18,000 people choosing him to continue as Kelowna's leader. Dias receiving about 9,500 votes. Campaigning is tough, and what I learned is it's a little bit different when you're the incumbent uh, because you uh, have four years of decisions that people can either uh, be really happy with or uh, really not like. All seven incumbent councillors re-elected, voters essentially endorsing the direction council is heading. But there is one fresh face taking Tracy Gray's spot after she opted not to run. Loyal Woolridge. It's still so surreal. Still, he's no stranger to council chambers and a strong supporter of the journey home strategy addressing homelessness. But I really wanted to show Kelowna that I was dedicated to the city by attending over 20 council meetings, over 100 stakeholder meetings over the last year, and I think they may have agreed. Of the 105,000 people eligible to vote in Kelowna's election, about 32,000 showed up. That puts voter turnout at 30%, which is just under the provincial average of 36%. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. And let's just give you an idea right now of how tight the results were in several of these races in Vancouver. Uh, just 984 votes separating Kennedy Stewart and Ken Sim. Uh, in West Vancouver, it was just 21 votes on Bowen Island. 
only two votes separating uh, the winners. And in Peachland, only a single vote separated the top two candidates. The period to apply for a recount ends nine days after the close of general voting. There is also a full list of civic election results from around the province, which can be found online. So go and check that out. Globalnews.ca slash even BC. And of course, our Global BC Facebook page has all the details as well. In other news tonight, there has been an incident involving a sightseeing helicopter in the Fraser Valley this afternoon. The Transportation Safety Board says a Sky Helicopters Bell 206 Long Ranger made a hard landing after experiencing control issues near Pitt Lake around There were five people on board. The Joint Rescue Coordination Centre in Victoria was contacted but says the company was able to dispatch one of its own choppers to bring the people back to the Pitt Meadows Airport where a number of ambulances and a helicopter medivac were waiting. The company is now saying passengers and crew are safe and they're also working with Transport Canada to review the situation. Sky Helicopter bills itself as uh, offering sightseeing experiences and bucket list adventures as well as service to the film industry. Also tonight, a person has been killed while shooting an extreme sport video in the BC interior at around 4.30 this afternoon. The person was reportedly wing-walking over Westwold when the plane lost control. He was too close to the ground. The parachute didn't deploy in time, uh, with the man ending up being plunged into a farmer's field. The plane landed safely. Now the Transportation Safety Board and Coroner's Service is investigating. Three people are in hospital after a serious crash in Surrey. Surrey RCMP are on the scene now of a serious crash at the intersection of 152nd Street and Fraser Highway. The collision happening just after four uh, in the morning. Two people in one car and one person in another are now in hospital with serious injuries. The intersection is closed. It will stay closed for some time. The investigation is in its early stages. Speed and impairments have not been ruled out as uh, the cause of this collision. Welcome back. Well, new denials tonight from Saudi Arabia's foreign minister insisting the Saudi crown prince had no knowledge of the meeting that led to the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Members of the U.S. Congress are not buying this uh, explanation, though. President Trump is promising more answers will be revealed on Tuesday. Jennifer Johnson reports. As new images emerge showing Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi entering the Saudi consulate in Turkey, new denials. In a Fox News interview, the Saudi foreign minister says Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman had no prior knowledge of the meeting that ended in Khashoggi's death. The Crown Prince has denied this. The Crown Prince is not aware of this. Even the senior leadership of our intelligence service was not aware of this. This was an operation that was a rogue operation. U.S. lawmakers are not buying it. The Crown Prince has his fingerprints all over this, and the fact that he is heading up the investigation makes it totally incredible. The Saudis say Khashoggi died in a fistfight. You don't bring a bone saw to an accidental fistfight uh, inside an embassy in Turkey, or a consulate in Turkey. Lawmakers want swift action from President Trump or Congress. This ought to be a relationship-altering event uh, for the U.S. and Saudi Arabia that we ought to suspend military sales. But some Republicans say canceling the arms deal could cost American companies and workers billions and alienate a key ally. The Saudis do provide very effective intelligence. They are a, uh, a, a bulwark against Iran and they happen to work closely with Israel. You put all that together, uh, we have to try to balance it. The world is not that simple. President Trump admits he still doesn't know what happened to Khashoggi's body. Jennifer Johnson, NBC News. 
Washington. President Donald Trump says he is withdrawing the U.S. from a nuclear arms treaty with Russia. Agreement, but Russia has not, unfortunately, honored the agreement. So we're going to terminate the agreement. We're going to pull out. The U.S. president says Moscow has been violating the treaty, so he is backing out. The agreement was signed during the Cold War back in 1987. The U.S. claims Russia has been developing a ground-launched cruise missile. Trump says he wants to do the same. Russia has said it would retaliate if the U.S. withdraws. A so-called migrant caravan is heading for the U.S. border, and that is making American authorities very nervous right now. Thousands of people have crossed from Guatemala into Mexico, many of them hoping to make it to the U.S., where President Trump is making it a political issue ahead of the midterm elections. Tonight, the migrant caravan is growing. The group fleeing violence and poverty in Central America has pushed through Mexico's southern border, and many Mexicans are joining in as they move north. NBC's Mariana Atencio is there. This is now a massive exodus of around 7,000 people, and they're making their way to Tapachula, which is the most important city here in the southern part of the country. It is a critical juncture for this caravan. It is where the prior caravan reorganized to move north to the United States. We're going to keep moving forward, this man says. He's been traveling for more than a week with his two-year-old daughter. Unlike Friday's clash at the border, now the Mexican government says it won't use force to stop the migrants. Here on the Guatemalan side of the border, patience is wearing thin. Rather than wait in this line to apply for refugee status in the heat, some desperate migrants have decided to cross into Mexico illegally. We met this woman, Gilma, as she climbed onto a raft, hoping to eventually reach the U.S. She doesn't believe applying for refugee status will work. She's afraid to return to Honduras. We live in a terrible situation in our country, she says, telling us her son was beaten by the military. But others are turning around, boarding buses back to Honduras. I see them muy duro. Has it been very hard? Rosa Uloa made the gut-wrenching decision because of her four-month-old daughter. For her, there was too much at risk. Tonight, many migrants have gathered in the rain at this park in southern Mexico. The government is urging them to head to shelters and apply to stay in this country. But many here say that they plan to continue marching north towards the U.S. tomorrow. Dozens of people were injured when a floor collapsed during a homecoming party at a university in South Carolina. It happened in the first floor clubhouse of an apartment complex near Clemson University just after midnight. The crowd ended up in the basement. Everybody started dancing and started jumping and we just boom. 30 people were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. They were all attending a frat party after the Clemson football team's homecoming game. A strike is looming at Canada Post. Negotiations have been ongoing for almost a year, but the Canadian Union of Postal Workers says Canada Post has the weekend to reach an agreement. The union also admitting it is not looking good right now with their message to Canada Post. They want to bargain, not disrupt mail service. The union is seeking improved job security, an end to forced overtime and better health and safety measures. If no deal is reached... 
Postal workers could begin a rotating strike tomorrow. Postal service will remain open, but customers should expect delays. Now, one year from today, Canadians will be going to the polls in the country's 43rd general election. Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken now reports that right now, at least, it's shaping up to be a tight race. Although here in B.C., we've already established a front runner. A year out from Election Day and Justin Trudeau and the Liberals are ahead by a nose. An Ipsos poll provided exclusively to Global News has the Liberals at 36% support of decided or leaning voters. That's versus 35% for Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives. Jugmeet Singh and the NDP are well back at 20%. And though the Liberals have led in most national polls since their election in 2015, a Trudeau repeat is not a sure thing. Looking at the numbers right now, you see that it's going to be a pretty competitive election. To win, parties will have to have compelling answers for what Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker says are the top three issues for voters. Number one, health care. Number two, things that have to do with the economy, jobs and unemployment. And number three, taxes. The 2018 election will also be the first one where the boomer generation is eclipsed by the millennials as the single biggest voting bloc. These young people aged 18 to 34 had a record high turnout rate in 2015. And the millennial vote was a key factor in making Trudeau prime minister. If they do the same, time, same thing this time around, it may be enough to, to help him win. Uh, but the traditional pattern that we're seeing in most places is they're the, the most unreliable voters in the electorate. In British Columbia, both the Liberals and the NDP are doing better than they are nationally. Trudeau's Liberals are at 40% here, the Conservatives have 30% of the B.C. vote, and the NDP is at 26%. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. All right, if you are all electioned out, don't worry. We have got sport and weather right. on the way. Not very talking at all about the election. Exactly. No no mention of the word vote. Uh, we've had loads of sunshine, though. It's been glorious out there. Yes, we're on day 13 now, so we keep counting the days. The potential's there for a couple of more, but we have been advertising a big change on the way, so I'll have more on that, but I wanted to give you a quick shot of some of the numbers that we're seeing. It's going to be chilly once again, especially for the overnight lows in the interior sections. We've got the risk of frost and that fog redeveloping. I'll talk more about why we're seeing the fog, and we'll talk about the timing of the big change that's on the way coming up shortly. All right, okay, yeah, it was really foggy this morning. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was weird, it's spooky, but mind you, Halloween is nearing, so yeah, it's good timing. <laughs> Stick around. Uh, sport, then, what's going on? Well, we're going to look back at the uh, Canucks' win last night on home ice. They've been very impressive this year, you have to admit. I mean, not, not many people gave the Canucks much of a shot to win a lot of games this year, but so far I think they've been a pleasant surprise. And the Whitecaps... Now, they've been disappointing. They uh, officially eliminated from the playoffs today down in L.A., but they had to win by 10 goals or something if they were going to stay alive. So, really, they were done. But uh, I'd say of the three teams right now, the Whitecaps are... uh, they're disappointing, unfortunately. They're not going anywhere this year. The Lions and Canucks are playing well. Whitecaps. Sorry about that if you're Whitecaps. Sorry, Caps. Welcome back. Well, it is being called a first of its kind in B.C. One, two, three! The official opening today of the Parkinson Wellness Center in New Westminster. Uh, the facility offering a variety of programs in one location for people living with Parkinson's, uh, including for their family and friends as well. Programs there including boxing and Tai Chi too. 
Sometimes a lot of people don't feel like being out in public if right. they have if their tremors are very bad or if they freeze or something like that. So they know here they're not being judged. Exercise is so important for people with Parkinson's because it actually delays. It's the only thing we know that can stop the, the, the advancement of uh, the progression of symptoms. A Langley man has taken restoring old vehicles to a whole new level. Now, it's not just classic cars he's working on. He's actually working on World War II tanks. He's got seven of them. Now he's working on a special one just in time for Remembrance Day. At the uh, Crescent Beach Legion in South Surrey, um, every year we like to take some kind of a military vehicle down to the, uh, the Remembrance Day ceremony. So this year we're going to take a World War II um, uh, early war, 1943, Sherman tank that we've been restoring, lovingly restoring for um, since about 2011. They're just really interesting machines and then when you couple that with the history and you can see, you know, the battles they fought in, the places they went, and it gives a real human component because you get to climb inside and think, what would that have been like when you were 19 years old and everyone was shooting at you? And, you know, you get a new appreciation for what, certainly what the veterans went through. When they're gone, you know, besides the books, um, the artifacts will be the only thing left to kind of tell the story of what they did. And I mean, every year we have less and less veterans from the Second World War with us. So, I mean, eventually this stuff is all that's going to be around to sort of show people what it was like. You know, I think it brings people back to a reality that they don't think of very often, especially around Remembrance Day. All right, we cannot complain about the weather. It has been... Amazing. I just can't think of uh, words enough to explain the sunshine right now, Yvonne. Yes, and we start off the mornings. It's now day 13 of this dry stretch with sunshine and no rain for Metro Vancouver and the south coast. We start off the mornings, though, however, with fog for many areas. And this is a beautiful shot that was taken from Jean in Abbotsford. So thank you so much. And the reason that we're seeing this fog and we'll continue to see it over the next couple of days is we've got clear skies and light winds. We've got a temperature inversion with the warm air aloft and the cooler air below most areas along the coast, it'll be fog patches for the morning hours and then dissipating. And for the interior sections, we're hanging on to this valley cloud with the sunshine just above. Here's a great shot, though, when the fog dissipates of what it looked like at Crown Lake. This is in the Marple Canyon Provincial Park sent in by Robin. So beautiful shot of the foliage and what we've been seeing and the sunset of what it looked like in Fort Steele at Norbury Lake. So thank you, Marnie, for sending us in that shot. Our current tower cam shot of what it looks like out there this evening. Sunset was at 6.12 and it is fantastic and we'll still see another similar weather picture like this for tomorrow. Temperatures though on the cool side, we're sitting at 11 degrees. Today's high climbing up to 13 for most spots. 14 rather or the average for this time of the year sits at 13 degrees. We did have a record high yesterday. It's been mild in the McKenzie area which is just north of Prince George getting up to 13.3. The old record of 12.9 was set back in 2012 and a few other highs today. Very balmy for a Soyuz up to 17 degrees and above the average for many spots into the interior ranging between 2 and up to 5 degrees above the average. So day 13 so far we potentially could get up to 14 and 15 degrees. Putting into perspective though of what we do see for October, the dry spell we've had 24 days set back in 1986. Our chief meteorologist Mark Rodriguez squeezed some of these numbers and back in 1987 we had 21 days of no rain. 
A change, however, for the northern half of the province. Coastal sections will be looking at rain overnight and for your Monday and very windy for areas that are near the water. But the central and southern half of the province still seeing one more dry day on our Monday. We've been advertising the change and now here is the timing of what we're anticipating for our Monday. A dry one with that ridge, but it starts to break down on Tuesday. It should be a dry start to the morning, but as we get in towards the evening, we've got rain pushing in. A drier day for Wednesday and then the next round of rain, it'll be a series of systems, will be Wednesday overnight towards our Thursday. A significant amount will be along the western sections of the island. And this is a snapshot of the future rainfall from Wednesday and pushing in towards our Friday. Snapshot of the piece for tomorrow. Gusty winds up to 40 kilometers per hour. White Horse will see rain over the next two days and the winds ramping up tomorrow. Along the coast, also windy at times. And most spots for the Caribou Central Interior will see that fog for the morning hours. Beautiful sunshine for the afternoon. It'll be similar for the Thompson Okanagan. Most spots near Whistler. Another fantastic day for tomorrow at 17. And the change on the way will be Tuesday and Wednesday where we could see rain late in the day and much wetter for Thursday, Friday and cooling off with highs of 12 and 13. Sonia? All right, we'll enjoy the next couple of days at least. Thank you very much for that. Okay, away from all of the elections, there's been lots of drama in sport as well, hasn't there, Barry? As always, it's yes. the best kind of drama, I believe. <laughs> no one gets their feelings hurt. Oh no, maybe that's not true. No, that's not true, yeah. yeah. No, I'll come up with something else. All right, thanks, Sonia. It has uh, been a disappointing season to say the least for the Whitecaps after Making it to the second round of the playoffs last year, there were high hopes they could go further down the playoff trail this year, but instead they've gone the other way. There won't even be any playoff games in 2018. It's been a chaotic last month with Carl Robinson being fired and the team imploding in key games. Today they played their final road game of the season in Southern California against Los Angeles FC. Sunny day down in L.A., hot day, so that would test the players who just played on Wednesday at home against Sporting Kansas City and it didn't look like the Caps were ready to go. Just five minutes in, Diego Rossi with the nice finish. The Caps were down early. Vancouver's had a miserable defensive record and that really has been the biggest problem. Diego Rossi scores again. It's the 23rd time in 33 games the Caps have given up two or more goals in a match and in soccer, that is a problem. But give the Caps credit. No quit. Alfonso Davies with another dazzling dash with the ball. Deking defenders then finally chopped down in the box. That's a penalty. He has been worth the price of admission most nights. Fun kid to watch. Jordy Reyna will fire from the spot and convert. 2-1 LAFC at the half. L.A. fighting with Dallas for a first-round buy, so they needed the win, too. But it's the Caps who equalize. Jordan Much, who hasn't done much since coming from England this year, does score a absolute screamer from 35 yards two to the final caps officially eliminated one last game alfonso davies finale at home next sunday against portland before he heads off to Bayern munich impact and tfc montreal with a remote chance of making the playoffs in the east they'd be the only canadian team to get in ignacio piatti scores from the spot one nil montreal over toronto and then late, it's Piatti winning the race against the TFC keeper, slots it in. Montreal still alive. They win 2-0. They have one match left. They have to win it and hope Columbus is held to a draw in its final game. So not impossible for the impact to get in. 
It's still very early, but give the Canucks some credit. They are off to a very strong start in a season where many uh, experts figured Vancouver would finish at or near the bottom of the league. That could still happen, but these young Canucks are playing with purpose. The goaltending's been very good, and they've beaten some pretty good teams already. Tampa, Pittsburgh, and now Boston after a 2-1 win in overtime last night at Rogers Arena. We'll go back and recap in case you were busy voting and everything yesterday with all the elections. Brandon Sutter gave the Canucks an early lead, slips that one under Yarrow Halak, who got fooled by the little change up here. Not the hardest shot Brandon will ever score on, but he'll take it. Brock Besser starting to play better after a slow start. There was concern he wasn't healed from his injuries, but starting to find his legs. Had a good chance there, but Halak stopped him. Bo Horvat, big hit, gets challenged. And gets in a scrap. This is what uh, people kind of want to see from this team. Some fight back. And Bo, man, he had some big punches against Noel Achari. And the fans love that. I think his teammates appreciate it too. Canucks showing some toughness. Nothing wrong with that. Jacob Markstrom, first start in five games, was very good. Nice save on the knuckler. Had some help from Troy Stetcher there. Third period, Bruins will tie it, though. After that, though, the Canucks will score in overtime. It's Besser to Horvat for the game winner. And the Canucks are off to a 5-3 start. The defending Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals are here next tomorrow night. NHL this evening, Bill Peters and the Flames at MSG to play the Rangers. First period, Johnny Gaudreau, little spinorama and backhander. What a play by the uh, very talented Flames center. one nothing Flames after one. Then in the second, the fourth line contribution, Garnet Hathaway converts the Mark Jankowski feed. 2 nothing for the Flames. And then moments after that, more from Johnny. Great patience here and then fires the wrister past Lundqvist. Gaudreau's 300th NHL point already in just his fifth season. 4-1 the final. Flames get the win, their first win at MSG in 10 years. And just finished at the Langley Event Center. Vancouver Giants beat Kelowna 3-1. The Giants are now 10-2-2. That is the best record in the Western Conference. We're going to show you the Toronto Scotiabank Waterfront Marathon. The men's Canadian marathon records did since 1975. Today it was broken by a BC boy, Black Creek's Cam Levins. First ever marathon for the 29-year-old has raced 10Ks and 5Ks at the Commonwealth Games in the Olympics. Hasn't raced a whole lot in three years because of foot surgery. But he's the winner today, and he was very emotional talking about that first win. Just the last few months, things really started coming together for me, and I felt the most fit I have in a long time, perhaps ever. And I, I knew I could come out and do something special, and I'm just so glad it happened. I'm so happy. Uh, I've had a rough couple years. I had surgery in the middle of 2016, missed the Olympics, and I, you know, I just entered that last 10K and thought, I'm taking back my career. I'm, I'm getting back to where I was. And sorry, it's a, it's a big moment for me. Welcome back. The Seahawks have the bye this week. They visit Detroit next Sunday. Seattle is 3-3 three and three through six games and I think have played a little better than expected. So if they can keep it up, they have a decent shot at a wild card spot. But it wouldn't hurt to get some help from those they are fighting with for those two wild card spots. Giants. Eagles and Panthers, two teams Seattle will be battling with down the stretch. Third quarter, Carson Wentz going to his tight end. 
Gedbert for the touchdown, 17-0 Eagles in control. But Cam Newton and the Panthers roar back now, 17-6. Newton to Devin Funches, 18-yard touchdown, cuts the lead to 17-14. And then with under 90 seconds to go, Newton to Greg Olson, three fourth-quarter TDs for the Panthers. They beat the Super Bowl champs 21-17. Panthers 4-2, Eagles now just 3-4. Cowboys visiting Washington, two more teams in that wild-card chase, under five to play. Dak Prescott, deep in his own territory, is going to get sacked, and he fumbles, and it's Preston Smith who scoops it up right there for the touchdown, 20-10, Washington in control. But the Cowboys were not done yet. They drive the field, and Prescott will keep it himself, leap into the end zone to get Dallas back within three, and they got the ball back. They had a kick to send it to overtime. It was to be a 47-yarder. They took a penalty, though, moved it back five yards, and then Brett Maher hits the upright. It would have been good from 47. Cowboys lose a tough one, 2017. They drop to three and four. Washington leads the NFC East at four and two. Patriots and Bears from Chicago, battle of division leaders. Patriots got two touchdowns from their special teams, as if Tom Brady needs all that help. A block punt, and then this return for a touchdown on the kickoff. Corderell Patterson taking it 95 yards all the way back. Back and forth game all the way between these two. Fourth quarter, Patriots by seven. And look at this play. Brady with the quick pitch to James White, who was in motion. New England always on the cutting edge with the imaginative plays. They led 38-24, but Mitchell Trubisky, dynamic QB for the Bears, will find Trey Burton for the 11-yard touchdown. So Chicago within seven. Then on the last play of the game, Trubisky going for it. 61 yards in the air. A mighty heave. It's caught. But the Patriot defense with a great play to stop Kevin White just short of the goal line. New England hangs on 38-31. They're now 5-2. Bears drop to 3-3. Three three. Rams and 49ers. L.A. off to a 6-0 start, running away with the NFC West, and they were not pushed today in San Francisco despite wearing very loud yellow uniforms. Todd Gurley, 7-yard touchdown, made it 10-0. And then later in the second, Jared Goff to Brandon Cooks for the touchdown. Rams roll past the 49ers. 39-10, L.A. the only unbeaten team in the NFL at 7-0. And one more for you, Saints and Ravens from Baltimore, New Orleans, with the second-best record in the NFC. Saints were down 17-6, entering the fourth, but they rallied. Drew Brees to Michael Thomas. Saints put up 17 straight to go up 24-17, but Joe Flacco and the Ravens not done. 24 seconds to go. Flacco to John Brown, wide open for the touchdown. They need the extra point to tie it up. Justin Tucker never missed one until now. Tough way, a cruel way to lose a game for the Ravens. 24-23 Saints, New Orleans, and now an impressive 5-1. The Ravens still okay. They are 4-3. and three. All right, this is why I asked. Okay, more than 2,000 sheep are replacing usual traffic in central Madrid. Take a look at this. Kind of cool. Uh, I love sheep based on that. Yeah. Everyone loves sheep. Everyone loves sheep, especially that many. And that wow. there as well. Lots of people taking part in the ancient festival, which sees uh, shepherds 
uh, move their flocks to warmer pastures for the winter. Uh, the sheep are accompanied by dancers and musicians. I guess it makes it a bit more entertaining <laughs> yes. for them. Uh, the sheep just up. know the one song. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, apparently it's quite a tradition. It goes back uh, a good few years now. The mayor of the city welcoming the sheep, and it was apparently it was paid to allow the animals to pass through uh, the city. At least the sheep will follow each other. You know that, right? Yeah, because they tend yeah. to do that, they don't are. they? They yeah. are. <laughs> um, is it going to be sunny tomorrow? Yes, one yep. more day of sunshine and then a change for Tuesday, Wednesday. So be prepared. All right. Thank you very much for keeping us company. We'll see you back here tonight at 11. Good night. Good night. Good.